When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and this week I was honored to chat with author Neil Thompson about his new book, The First Kennedys, The Humble Roots of an American Dynasty. The First Kennedys is his sixth book, and he has shared his work on ESPN, The History Channel, PBS, C-SPAN, Fox, TNT, the BBC, NPR, and more. And as a journalist, he's written for The New York Times, Washington Post, Outside, Esquire, Backpacker, Vanity Fair, Men's Health, Sports Illustrated, Seattle Met, and The Wall Street Journal. This book is awesome and just released last week. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. Without further ado, here's the interview. Here I am joined by the author of The First Kennedys, The Humble Roots of an American Dynasty, Neil Thompson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Allison. Good to be here. Nice to talk to you. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Uh, before we get started, though, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm a author and journalist. I spent many years as a newspaper reporter up and down the East Coast before I started writing books. Uh, the First Kennedys is my sixth book. I've written mostly narrative nonfiction, and my goal with my books has always been kind of the same to like dig into some bit of history and find some overlooked or forgotten or underrepresented story that tells a, a broader story about who we are as Americans. And so the, the Kennedys was kind of a, a perfect fit with that, a story we mostly know. And my goal was to dig deep and find a story that's been kind of forgotten over the years. Absolutely. So at the time of us recording this, your book releases tomorrow. So yep. we're recording on the 21st. So you get 2 22 which is the best release date I've ever heard in my entire Isn't life. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So are you so excited? Like, are you like, finally, it's time? It's been a long time coming for this book. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I uh, describe in, in actually the opening pages of the book how things started. I mean, it's been more than 20 years since this idea first started simmering in my head. Um and it goes back to 1999 when JFK Jr. died. And I was working for a newspaper at the time and went to cover that story up in Hyannisport. Um, so I was one of the mob uh, in that mob of reporters outside the Kennedy compound waiting for news on what had happened to him and his sister and sister-in-law because the plane had gone missing and wasn't found at that time. So I'm looking around me at all this like chaos and and um and then i go to a bar and get a shot of jameson's from this uh bartender who we learned while i was sitting at that bar that they had found the wreckage and found the bodies oh, wow. and she just starts crying mm -hmm. and and i realized wow oh and and her other comment at the time was i feel like i lost a family member and so something started to percolate then i realized wow we're still so fascinated by the Kennedys, you know, and there are different perspectives. You either love them or some people hate them, whatever. But, you know, we're, they're still such a part of our American story. And I realized that their story, in a sense, ties to mine because I come from an Irish background. My grandparents on my mother's side were Irish immigrants. And in fact, that day driving back from Hyannisport back to Baltimore, Maryland, I drove down I-95 and came within just a couple of miles of where my 
deceased Irish immigrant grandparents are buried. Uh, and I realized there's some connection there between my interest and all of our interest in the Kennedys, my interest in my heritage, but not really understanding my heritage. So somewhere along the way, I decided, all right, I'm going to write this story somehow, some way. But I kept getting interrupted and distracted by other projects and couldn't quite figure out how to tell the story either because so much has been written about the Kennedys. Um, and we'll get to this, but eventually I kind of found my through line, which was Bridget Murphy Kennedy, as well as focusing on the uh, discrimination that she and other Irish immigrants faced in the 1800s when they came to America, a place that seemed hopeful and promising, but then they get here and realize that they're not wanted here mm -hmm. either. Yeah, that's that's actually perfectly leads into my next question. I was going <laughs> to say, will you just give a little premise of this story because it's not been told like yet, you know? I mean, even when I was reading the articles and stuff in preparation for this and learning about this book, it's amazing to see that Bridget, this person that's so incredible, hasn't been covered much. So if you don't mind giving just a little bit of that premise and that storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, uh, when I started exploring what a book like this might look like early on, um, I realized that so much has been written about the 20th century Kennedys, starting with Joe. Um, and Joe kind of gets credit for creating the family. Uh, you know, JFK's father, Joe, your your listeners know this, but um, uh, but I wanted to go back and 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 find out, okay, where did Joe come from? And where did his parents come from? Where did it all begin? Where did this dynasty actually start? Because um, I knew it didn't start with Joe, you know, and and I came to learn more about uh, uh, his role with the family. I mean, he was born a wealthy kid and went to Harvard. And so he, he wasn't the up from the bootstraps, um, you know, startup kind of kid. He, he was born to privilege. But again, I wanted to go back further and find out where it all began. And I early on learned about Patrick Kennedy. So this would be JFK's grandfather, Patrick, uh, sorry, great-grandfather, Patrick came from Ireland, County Wexford, during the potato famine. And a little bit's been written about him, um, but th then I discovered he's married, married, when he came to America, he married Bridget Murphy Kennedy, who also came from County Wexford in Ireland, also during the potato famine, and initially couldn't find a single thing about Bridget. And I realized, okay, this is the great-grandmother of first Irish Catholic president, um, you know, political hero to many, just a legendary American figure. And we know nothing about, you know, the backstory of where his family came from. So once I found Bridget, I decided, okay, I'm going to do what I can to find everything out I can find out about Bridget and bring her to life. Um, that became my mission. And it was challenging because she was a poor immigrant. She ends up widowed with four kids in the slums of East Boston in the mid-1850s. Um, so it's not like she was written about during her day. She wasn't, she didn't leave behind papers and letters that, you know, ended up at some library or archives. She was just, you know, part of this mosh pit of, of poor immigrants. But little by little, I was able to piece together her story through genealogical records and um, uh, interviews in Ireland, interviews in Boston, uh, old newspaper articles, old, uh, you know, business directories in Boston, and was able to sort of frame out who she was and where she came from and what her life was like. And it was hard, you know, so she escapes the Irish potato famine in the late 1840s, makes this dangerous crossing on what they called coffin ships that delivered Irish immigrants to um, mostly to America, 
makes it to East Boston um, and is just part of this mass of, uh, of Irish immigrants trying to find a job, trying to find a place to live, trying to start a family. Um, and she does find Patrick and she does get married 1849. Um, but a few years later, her first son dies. John F. Kennedy, interestingly, um, is her first son's name. He dies. And then a couple of years later, just after she and Patrick have their fourth child and and another son, PJ, then Patrick dies of consumption because where they lived, illness was everywhere and the immigrants were susceptible to all these uh, diseases. So she's left alone with four kids, uh, widowed, working as a maid, just barely making it. So I really thought that sort of start in America at, as low as you can be practically um, uh, for that to be, you know, uh, evolve into the Kennedy family that we know of in the 20th century. I thought that was a remarkable sort of transformation of, of, of a family um, and says a lot about what's possible in America, despite all the uh, uh, sort of energy focused against immigrants across time. Absolutely. So the, the, the hub of the story, the beginning of the story is Bridget Murphy Kennedy. What's it like for her in America and what becomes of her? And uh, and I think her ascent to sort of respectability and uh, opening her own business eventually is is a remarkable one and just surprisingly overlooked. Yes, that is so fascinating to me. You have to take me on this journey of your research because I can't imagine this was easy even a little bit because every single part of the Kennedy's history that is, you know, people know is already kind of knit together in some form or fashion. This, I would imagine, was not at all. So where did you go? What did you use? How did you stitch this together so wonderfully? Yeah, uh, thank you. And it's a great question because it was the big challenge for this whole project every step of the way. You know, in the beginning, I reached out to the the all the obvious sources. I reached out to family members, um, and some of whom were willing to talk to me. Rory Kennedy and Stephen uh, Kennedy Smith, and a few others uh, uh, exchanged emails or letters with um, Maria Shriver and and uh, Carrie Kennedy. But all of them pretty much said the same thing: we don't know. You know, like they don't know the story either. It just wasn't chronicled uh, back in the day. I think some of that has to do with sort of the male-dominated uh, aspect of the whole Kennedy dynasty, you know, um, that the female side uh, tended to get short shrift, um, especially back then. Um, but also there just wasn't a lot of documentation around. So family members were nice, but not helpful necessarily because they didn't know. JFK Library, the presidential library, also very helpful, but they just didn't have a lot of information on Bridget either. They wish they did. So what I had to do is, is come at it from a, a bunch of different angles and, um, and, and in many cases try to describe what life was like for people doing the same job or in the same circumstances as Bridget. So I didn't have her situation word for word, um, but I did have, uh, for example, you know, the diaries and letters of women who came across on the same types of ships diaries and letters of, of Irish immigrant maids who were working for Boston families at the same time that Bridget was. Um, newspaper articles from back in the day describing what, what life was like for her or for, 
you know, a grocery store owner, which is what she became. I found um, old books and uh, documentation about Jordan Marsh department store, which is where she briefly cut hair for a while. So it was, a, it was a lot of that kind of mining for little bits and pieces and then trying to stitch it together in a way that felt like, um, you know, this is, this is what her life was probably like. Um, and, and I didn't want to hedge too much and say, we don't know, therefore it was kind of like this. I wanted this to be a story. I wanted it to be a narrative and, and sort of put you in these places where she lived and, and worked, um, uh, but doing it with these other sources that sort of complemented what little we knew about her, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's amazing to hear such an early on entrepreneurial spirit within the Kennedy family too, especially from a female, you know, yeah. like you said, that is something that's so interesting. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I just haven't heard it. Like that's, it's blowing my mind a little bit that I have not heard this, you know, I yeah. feel like you're about to teach every Kennedy fan or admirer or anything everywhere or something. <laughs> it's amazing. So I love it. Um, what is something about this story while you were doing all of this preparation, which how, how long did it take? I mean, I know you said you were inspired in 99, but I'm curious, like how long this project took to come together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so inspired and kind of got the nugget of the idea back mm -hmm. in 99. Um, and then there were a couple false starts over the next decade plus. Um, but I did travel to Ireland and, and walked uh, the, the Kennedy farm, which is still in the family today, the uh, Kennedy compound where they, uh, Patrick Kennedy on the father's side was born and raised. Talked to some family members there, did some archival research there, but that was way back in 2006. So <clears throat> kind of got some uh, material collected at that time, put it aside again, um, but it was really probably three, four years ago, especially, uh, you know, as I started hearing in recent years, more of this anti-rhetoric in certain areas, like send them back and, and uh, you know, these, this, just this percolating fear of the immigrant. And as I was hearing that and doing research in old newspapers, I was realizing we've been saying those things for a long time. And we were saying those things about the Irish Catholics back in the 1800s. So I realized there's something there to explore and something timely and relevant to what we're hearing today. So probably two and a half years ago is when I started full time on this thing. Wow. And, and it yeah. took all of that time just to heads down to try and piece it all together. I bet. What was something that you were shocked to learn? Was there anything that just you were like, oh, my gosh, about, you know, any part of the story? I think there were a bunch of things. You know, I think, you know, I'll stick with Bridget for another minute or two. Sure, but yeah. I think, you know, discovering what she was up against and how hard it was, not just for immigrants, but for women in this country, um, you know, especially after she lost her husband. And, uh, you know, she later after the Civil War tries to start her own business at a time when most women needed a license and approval from their husband to start their own business. You know, that's that's how uh, things are set up. Um, and she just did it on her own. Uh, I, I find that to be truly remarkable. Um, she not only opened a grocery store in East Boston, she managed to buy the building where the grocery store was on the first floor. And then she starts renting out the apartments above the, the, uh, the grocery store to other Irish immigrants, two of whom became her sons-in-law. Um, so she became really this community figure and her grocery store became this hub for that, that Irish immigrant community that they were in. But I think the other thing 
that surprised me. And again, it was one of those kind of overlooked bits of the Kennedy story was not just her story, but her son, PJ. And he has been written about in, in other books, but I, I realized like he was part of this core uh, group of Irish democratic politicians in Boston who were ascending to power at a time when um, that just didn't happen. Like, you know, we think of the Kennedys as being representative of, uh, you know, either the, either the Democratic Party or Irish Democratic politics or Boston politics. But when PJ, uh, JFK's grandfather, started, um, he was a saloon keeper who worked his way up in the liquor business, made some money and got involved in ward politics at sort of the street level in East Boston. So he's running for office when Irish just weren't holding office at that time. So he, and then on the other side, uh, Honey Fitz, John Fitzgerald, are working kind of side by side in different parts of the city to get involved in politics, to start, you know, organizing local voters, to, to start changing some of the laws that they felt were aligned against Irish and Catholic and immigrants and start to have some influence on this country that initially didn't want them. So among many things, that was a shocker. And I think, too, I it was fun to learn how um, how far back the Kennedy's involvement in the liquor business goes and how key it is to their success in America and their political success. Like we probably many of us have heard the stories about Joe Kennedy allegedly a bootlegger during prohibition, but really not. But he did make money uh, importing liquor after prohibition. Um, and, and that helped contribute to, you know, sort of the early campaigns of, of, of JFK later and others, uh, that, that family wealth that came from liquor. But if you go back three generations before that, um, JFK's great grandfather, Patrick, was a barrel maker, built barrels for whiskey and beer. Bridget Kennedy ran a grocery shop where she most likely, we can't prove it, most likely, like most other immigrant uh, Irish grocery shop shops at that time, sold whiskey, sold some beer. Then PJ Kennedy is a saloon owner and a liquor dealer and, and gets his start and his initial wealth from liquor um, at a time when prohibitionists, mainly Republican and Protestant uh, prohibition political activists were you know, terrified of this influence of the Irish and their grocery shops selling liquor and their saloons and saloon politics. So that was fun to explore that through line of uh, whiskey throughout the that early is fascinating. generations. Yeah, that's fascinating. And then it, that just made me think of all the times I've heard or read about JFK just like nursing a glass of whiskey for like a long time, smoking a cigar. So it's just kind of funny how that kind of comes down the line. Another thing you said that I thought was interesting uh talking about PJ and kind of the barriers he crossed a little bit, that's almost like an interesting foreshadow into JFK kind of having to overcome the Catholic hurdle. So yeah, that's very interesting to see that they kind of, you know, fought through those prejudices and pushed past them in a way. So that's, that's really, that's interesting to hear for sure. And it was kind of a remarkable ascent too. Like, you know, um, you get into the early 1900s, which isn't really the focus of my story, but it kind of ends with this, uh, era where PJ and John Fitzgerald, Honey Fitz, and these their their respective families are are finally not only middle class but upper middle class, or in PJ's case, pretty wealthy. Just a generation after their parents had come from a 
crumbling country and show up in America with next to nothing. So I, I find that that transition there that and PJ is kind of representative of, of that transition, pretty remarkable that in a generation you get to this place of not just respectability and and you know, sort of a better economic circumstance, but he's a powerful guy. You know, he's, he's in the state house in Boston, uh, you know, influencing laws that affect citizens throughout the state. Um, he, I describe in the book becomes part of this secretive, initially secretive board of strategy, you know, these kind of backroom kingmaker politicians who decide who's going to get which city contracts and which candidates they should support for which elected offices. So it's really the start of this, um, uh, a, a little bit of agency and power for, for the Irish. Um, but you're right. Then later, it, JFK has to overcome those similar hurdles on a national level because, you know, it hasn't really reached that level yet where we uh, were OK with Irish Catholics in, in office. That's so fascinating. Well, let me just say, I'm going to speak for all of us people that studied the Kennedys and thank you so much for this project. <laughs> it's very necessary and I'm fascinated by it. I truly am. Uh, where can people follow you on your journey and socials and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. And I hope people will read it. And uh, and I'd love to hear from folks too. Uh, so on my website, which is neilthompson.com, you can find information about the book. Um, there's a, a, a tour schedule. I'll be traveling some in uh, Seattle and Boston and New Jersey and a couple of other spots, Pennsylvania. Um, you can contact me there. You can find my social media there. I'm mainly on Instagram, a little bit on Facebook, um, but uh, I have more fun on Instagram. Um, and I'm posting updates on that uh, on my website too. Just reviews that have popped up. The Boston Globe just gave it a really nice review. Had a nice preview in uh, the New York Times. People Magazine has covered it. Um, so people can follow the journey of this uh, this book on on, on there. That's awesome. I'll link all that in the description of this episode as well. So guys, do not miss out on this book. Seriously, by the time this episode releases, which will be a week from now. So next week, it is available. So I'm going to put a direct link to buy it in the description of this uh, episode as well. And thank you, Neil, so much for coming on and chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for listening. You can find a direct link to purchase the book in this episode's description. I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.